This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's Swindon Town. Back again. Hello, Joe. Hello, Rich. Did you enjoy the boxing match at the Memorial on Tuesday? Wasn't it weird? It was not a nasty game at all. And we got ourselves two reds and, yeah, it wasn't exactly a sparring match once that happened. But I thought we did all right. Did you watch it? Um, Unsurprisingly, no, I did not watch it. (laughs) Without giving away some of uh, Scott Lindsay's thoughts, I think they were really reiterated thoughts. I I thought up until we went down to nine men, we were all right. Um, Without being spectacular, of course. I'm not saying that like we were humiliating League One Bristol Rovers uh, B team. I just think we were competitive, given the situation that we were in. Yes, they were just too up for the derby in the end, weren't they, the Swindon players? So that got the better of them and the game got away from us. But I think holding it, what was it, about an hour or 70 minutes odd, we held them with nine men. So it's a decent job, even in that regard. Yeah, very odd. 1,700 there, 218 fans for a nothing fixture. Well, for nothing for us. The competition, it's its creeping up. People, the boycott is ending slightly. Yeah, people were up for the cup. They're excited to see it. I guess the fact we weren't playing a youth side and it's incredibly local probably helped. But yeah, it's its uh, people's stance is softening, I suppose. I, I did get the impression looking around the, the Swindon fans that maybe we benefited from Swindon fans at University of Bristol or UWE 
because there were definitely a few Swindon fans that dragged their housemates along uh, for 90 minutes of pure football. And I'm sure those housemates are now devout Swindon supporters, so we'll probably see them this weekend. <laughs> did you ever convert anybody? Um, I did my best, but um, I think probably my shouting watching the uh, the relegation season on iFollow probably didn't help the cause. <laughs> the, the, the couple of times that I managed to uh, get a couple of old friends um, to games and they support Premier League teams, there would always be this sort of patronising conversation about, well, you, you lot are all right. And you're just like, what major surprise is this? This is when we were a bit better a few years back as well. Like, why is that a surprise to you? It's Football is quite good outside the top flight. Ugh, people. Yeah, I always got, was Swindon ever actually any good? And I was like, oh. I mean, we're in the Premier League once. Didn't do very well. Record holders, but, you know, I just... A lack of understanding of, of the wider pyramid. Legacy. That's what it's all about. That that 100 goals, it's all about legacy. The day someone takes it is going to be a sad day for me anyway. Right. So quite a lot to talk about in this presser. A bumper edition, really, because they've gone all in and rightly so on the upcoming game after the Hartlepool fixture. Of course, Swindon Town women are playing immediately well, an hour after The Hartlepool game is over. They're playing in the FA Cup against Porton Rovers, a side a couple of divisions below Swindon Town women. On the presser was first team manager James Lally, along with Megan Attenborough from the playing squads. This was all very nice, wasn't it? This is all very good. And the amount of publicity in this presser that they gave the women's side was very encouraging. And I would probably say it needs to be consistent. So if they're going to do this, whether it be at the county ground or at Foundation Park or Fairford, they need to give the women's side this level of coverage on a regular basis to allow attendances to be consistent. Yeah, definitely. If the goal is to, you know, the they, we heard a lot about it from Megan Attenborough um, today, that the goal is to show everyone what they can do and then hopefully that continues. So um, part of that probably is keeping up with the press. It's Probably slightly more difficult for it for me being part time than it is for the others. But this, they, if you know, this is clearly a side worth covering, and you know, women's football is on the up. Then if they can keep it up and keep that profile, then Swindon can really go places, and and then you can have a a real, you know, a team that competes towards the top of women's football, which is something the men's side hasn't done for quite a while. Yeah, kickoff is at five forty five, and you don't have to go to the Hartlepool game in order to see this one. Um, those who are going to Hartlepool are welcome to stay. But I think you've got to swing round to the Arkles. So anyone in the town end and in the Don Rogers that wants to stick around, they need to uh, they need to move uh, to the other stand where they'll, they they can find a seat. Yeah, I think I might just about miss kickoff having to do stuff from the previous Hartlepool game, but I'll definitely be sticking around to watch the game. Hopefully it'll be a good spectacle and a, a good win against the Polton Rovers side, which they Swindon should be able to beat. Yeah, all this information is on the Swindon Town website. What what was the general feelings of, of James Lally and Megan Attenborough? We're, we're not going to go blow by blow in terms of what was discussed, purely because neither of us have really seen much of the women or any of the women's team this year. And it feels a little bit patronising to pretend that we know what's going on. So I think a lot of this conversation, a lot of this press conference for this game was about how important and how big this occasion is for the women and their hopes for how 
well, their hopes for the future, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not going to try and insult anyone. I haven't seen them play before. I haven't spoken to the players and the management before. So it was the first time for me. And in fact, I was informed this morning that it was going to happen. And it was a reminder that this is happening. So I either missed it along the way or it was said at Bristol Rovers. Um, but it was, it was it's about the spectacle. And I think you always get a sense what what they want to convey when you speak to managed and players at any level. And the sort of the theme across the whole thing is, you know, this is kind of a big occasion, but f- for us, we're trying to, we're trying to stay level-headed and treat it like we would any other game, not try and let it change anything and just hope that that ends in the kind of performance that can try and convert people. Cause you know, you, I, this is going to almost certainly going to be the biggest crowd they've played in front of by uh, several times. So, you can't let yourself get wrapped up in that as a player. And they, they were definitely focusing on that part of it and how they can keep the players level-headed going into a, a big game like this. Yeah, James Early was saying at Foundation Park they had a few hundred, didn't they, for, for a recent game. So there is genuine hope for a significant increase. I'm not quite sure that that's going to happen. I think it is very dependent on uh, on how... The Hartlepool game goes. Yeah, definitely, that was something Scott Lindsay touched on that they they want to win, obviously for themselves, and because they want to win games. The the side playing before, but you know, if if Swindon can win two or three nil against Hartlepool, which is a realistic possibility given their bottom of the table, then you can leave the fans wanting to watch another game, and that's definitely the idea. And try and get this attendance as high as it can possibly be. Yeah, Swindon Town get a win quick drink in the pub or at the legends and then back in to see the women's team stuff Polton. That's what we want to see, isn't it? Absolutely. Get, get the big wins going, get into that FA cup first round and then you can genuinely get some, some attention at the next game. Yeah. And, and there's plenty of money in this FA cup. Well, more money than, than they usually get. So win does make that impact for the women's team, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. I think we've talked about the only reason anyone tries in the PJT is because they increased the prize money, but obviously the FA cups are, big deal in and of itself and they've increased the price money price money this year because it was quite low in previous seasons and so a win in this could be could be very lucrative for the side and then obviously you get some of the bigger draws coming up good luck to Swindon Town women on Saturday night we now move to the men and Scott Lindsay's press conference uh, in front of yourself and Andrew Hawes of BBC Wiltshire and Johnny Leefield of the Advertiser. And we, we drift back to Bristol Rovers. Haven't really thought about it since. What was Scott Lindsay's final thoughts as he watched it back again? Yeah, Scott Lindsay's thoughts were, you know, they that it becomes a lot more difficult to evaluate a performance when you've had nine men for over half of it. You know, he he said he wasn't totally sure about the Aguilar sending off. The camera made it difficult to see. Apparently it moved right as he's making contact or what have you. But the, the feeling seems to be that there wasn't a stamp. He says that Aguilar isn't that type of guy, which is, you know, he doesn't seem to be. When, when I was listening to this, I was getting ready. I was saying before he even said it, it's a lovely lad. He's a lovely lad. <laughs> he's a lovely lad. Or he's an honest lad. He's an honest lad. And there it was. It was daft, but like like in the highlights that we have, I don't know if they're any different for Scott Lindsay. It's kind of like it's not super clear, but at the same time, I can absolutely see why the referee's given it if you lunge in like that. Well, yeah, if he, if he thinks there's a stamp, then he has to give it. I've known from 
Bristol Rovers people who were there that supposedly they didn't they weren't quite sure what it was given for at the time. So it doesn't sound like it was ov- overly clear, but yeah, it wasn't guided by the atmosphere. So it happened, and nobody was up in arms. No fans were going crazy. No players were going crazy. So when the red card came out, it was like. Oh, for crying out loud. But I, I think that that's a major part of the of the match day experience, isn't it? That we drive the referee <laughs> to, to making some decisions. And when something isn't as a, as a, well, doesn't have that emotive reaction, that, and then you see the referee make that decision, you're kind of like, what? Yeah, I guess everything's dulled down anyway with the lower attendance. But people, if it, it's out, I haven't seen it. I couldn't be bothered to watch any of the Bristol Rover stuff, to be perfectly honest. But. <laughs> <laughs> But if you know if the referee has to go on what they think they see, you can't let yourself be driven by other people. If if he thinks it's a stamp, then that's what you got to go with, really. Yeah, of course you're right. And although he was very defensive of Ricky Aguilar, defensive of Ricky Aguilar, not so much for Brennan. Yeah, Kieran Brennan was thrown to the wolves. Um, he was. <laughs> he was nice uh, way though. <laughs> he, he he said that they were both both yellow cards were pretty much fair. Um, that if he thinks the second one was largely driven by the place on the pitch where the foul was, I couldn't tell you where that was. Um, but uh, but he, you know they they have no real complaints about the Brennan red card. Uh, not certainly not like Aguilar, which I don't know if it if it shows who Scott Lindsay's favourites are. Given that <laughs> last week we had a glowing report on Ricky Aguilar and Kieran Brennan hasn't been quite as involved as maybe we thought he would be from the start of the season for other reasons other than performance. I think that would be fair because of the concussion, but yeah, it's um that, that, oh that was his assessment of the red cards, and otherwise he he said he enjoyed the game, which very much backs up his points about taking it as seriously as he would any other game. Um, no, he wouldn't go that far. He was, <laughs> I wouldn't have gone that far. Uh, I, you know, I, I think he it sounded like he got for some of the game at least what he wanted out of it, and then it just it's not really a football game at nine versus eleven. There's not loads you can do. No, it was it was remarkably okay before the second sending off. It, it was we were holding our own, and it's because clearly Bristol Rovers couldn't give a stuff about the game either. And then in the second half, I think I think a part of me thinks that Bristol Rovers come to the conclusion that lads, we, we can't take this to penalties. We got to win this, so they strengthened in the second half, which is almost unheard of in this competition. And I kind of think. Before, during this game, Lindsay didn't want to get stuffed. So we we did play a far too strengthened side for this game. And we didn't weaken our side um, in the second half because, it, like I said in the last pod, it would have been 4-5-6-0. So I think if you think of the optics, regardless of competition, losing 6-0 to Bristol Rovers... It isn't going to have a great reaction, whatever the competition. So I, I think there was a bit of preservation in that game too. Yeah, I think when I mean Scott Lindsay is essentially walking a tightrope every week with the Swindon fan base anyway, and I think yes, a, is, a heavy yeah. defeat to Bristol Rovers in whatever competition people can say they don't care. But when the result, I remember after Crystal Palace, people were annoyed. I, mm. You know, I, I kept saying that Scott Lindsay didn't care, the club didn't care, so you shouldn't. But but people clearly did. Because you know they have their opinions on Scott Lindsay, um, I, yeah. I agree with them. I don't particularly agree with many of those negative ones, but that that's how people perceive him as a manager. So losing six nil uh, isn't great, and people people will 
you know, pick holes in that and that will come up in arguments about how suitable he is to this role. But uh, speaking of 6-0 JPT losses, it's it's a Hartlepool weekend. Indeed, that's a good segue to try and get out of this conversation and move to stuff that you did see or do know stuff about. There is one final point. It's not about the Bristol Rovers game, but I think it's a really interesting point that you say about like every week Scott Lindsay does, even though we're sitting just below the playoff line. Um, Scott Lindsay does perennially seem to be singing for his supper with the fans. And I think there's an element to this in when I listen to the presses as well. And that's your guy's job and it's no criticism, but a lot of the questions does feel like it gears towards the more negative sort of ways. Like he's not playing in the right position. He's like, what do you think about this? That, and the other end, there isn't that much focus on the generally positive, but it's a, it's a fine balance, isn't it? It is definitely a fine balance. I would also caveat it by saying, from all the conversations I have with Johnny and Andrew, we all fully support Scott Lindsay as the manager. Sure. I don't think any of, any of us have any sort of doubt about him. But but at the same time, you are sort of the, the, vo- the voice and the in-between between Scott Lindsay and the fans, essentially. So if this is, you know... It, it comes up in this one, Jacob Wakeling's position. If that's a po- topic of discussion, then it's useful to hear Scott Linty's point on that. So yeah, you, you have to ask that as well. And also, just generally speaking from a journalist perspective, um, isn't everything lovely isn't a great question. So it's more, <laughs> more interesting to just to hear what he thinks about the things that aren't going wrong necessarily, but aren't going as well as maybe people might hope. So that's, yeah. that's sort of... I guess my answer to why you're asking him mean questions. It's not necessarily that they're mean questions, but you know, they're always slanted towards the, you know, as opposed to the, yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's because, and I completely, completely agree. That's because you guys are gathering what the vibe of the fan base is. And if we're asking those questions, you're clearing them up. And if you didn't ask them, we'd be moaning at you, wouldn't we? So um, yeah, it's a vicious circle. Yeah, I prefer getting less abuse, generally speaking. So I think if people get the answers to questions that they're wondering about, then that serves everyone's purpose as much as it does. Because it gives Scott Lindsay, it also, on top of that, gives Scott Lindsay a, you know, a point to explain to people why he does certain things as well. Yeah. So he doesn't you know, get, oh, there was that thing earlier in the season about why do we play out from the back at the supporters' um, night thing. He talked about it and he told people why that happened. So... No, the questions might seem negative, but they are also just giving him that that chance to clear everything up as well. Let's get to our bread and butter. So injury front, what have we got? Injury report, we asked it where we were. Um, Angus McDonald is a week away from that injection we talked about before, where he, um, to help speed up his and aid his recovery, he's going to be getting an injection to help him. That's a week away because they're still waiting for him, his uh, collarbone to settle down. And then after that, um, he'll be you know, on the home straight in many ways. He'll be working back towards fitness and he's um, and that'll be sort of another three, four weeks, I would suggest, after then. So, you know, fairly good news on McDonald, but is essentially what we already knew. The the newish injury is Reese Devine, but that was pretty apparent from his um, non-appearance in the Bristol Rovers game. I think he was the only outfielder I didn't get right um, from that team. But he's got a a knock to his quad and we'll be back so working in and out of training next week as they um who's getting back in and we'll speak about Tommy Adeloy later but Reese Devine's another one who's having a 
bit of a tricky start to life in SN1. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Um, picking up these little injuries. And is he is he on a one year or two year, Easterbone? I think it might be a two year because he was well, he's okay. younger in academy prospect. But um, yeah. I think all those injuries and the arrival of Fraser Blake Tracy really isn't helping him right now. Yeah, and with Rashawn Hepburn Murphy, it was as you were, but those dates haven't gone forward, have they? Uh, was it eight to ten, or was it six to eight before? Yeah, it's basically yeah. He's looking at Christmas uh, and onwards, so he's he's not in in line to come back anytime soon. But we knew this. Yes, we did. Okay, we move on then to the topic that you mentioned a few moments ago, and that was about Jake Wakeling. Playing on the wing and versus playing up front, we've we've seen a bit of a goal drought from him compared to what he was doing up front. But Scott Lindsay was quite defensive of his performances on the wings, wasn't he? Yeah, we talked about favourites already. Wakeling's definitely one of those yes. because of his attitude, and I don't think anyone can deny that Jacob Wakeling has had a very good start. He got that contract for a reason. But um, he has definitely had a downturn since he's moved out wide. Lindsay pointed immediately to the Grimsby game. I think um, Johnny and I actually had this discussion at the weekend um, about you know, the validity of that because Grimsby was a very different game, I think, in many ways because Swindon had to grit it out for quite a lot that time, maybe had a bit more space to attack into than you have done in other games. But um, I, it's one of those finds where he lays it out and it does make sense why he's playing there. He's, you know, they're not necessarily playing a striker and two wingers. They want, and this feeds into something I asked later on, um, is you know, they're playing with. They don't want Wakeling and Williams to be the whip in the team. They want them to come inside and do damage closer to Luke Jeffcott. So he's playing more like a second striker than he is a winger, even if nominally he is playing wide right. So he's supposedly doing what they want. Personally, I feel like he gets caught between what he thinks a winger should be doing and what he wants to be doing as a player, which I know when I've been playing is in a different position is sometimes something that goes through your head and it doesn't help you performance-wise. I think as he goes along, he'll probably improve, but he's not playing particularly well right now. Got a little bit of an injury as well, hasn't he, that he's nursing? Yeah, well, we I think we sort of knew this again, where he came off against um, Northampton, where he came off and his sort of thing against Stevenage, where his, his hip problem is still... It's limiting his training a little bit, and so he's not 100%, but I think you, you saw it as professional footballers, they're very rarely 100% fit, so... It's something he can play through, but it's probably inhibiting him a little bit. Yeah. He talked more generally about wingers too, didn't he? And what he liked and he referenced XG as well. What was discussed here? Yeah, it was about how um, how he evaluates his wingers. Because as I say, with um, when he plays Wakeling and Williams, but even with Shade and Iandolo, who has emerged as the second choice left winger apparently, um, is how he wants them to play. He doesn't want them to be going wide, he wants them to come inside and depending on the opposition, you can try and create a front five with the full-backs as the widest players and then the winger slightly inside around Jeff got. And so he's trying to he's trying to get them to play that way and he's talked about, you know, he doesn't necessarily want the crosses to be coming from them. And it, it's showing that we are creating chances if the full-backs are getting more crosses in because it would mean that the wider players are more central, which you know makes sense because... Uh, as as he's been saying, they they aren't supposed to be the width in this team, and then I forget completely how, but um, he was talking that shifted to sort of Swindon performing below xG, which is a flawed stat. And Scott Lindsay said that himself off mic to us that he's 
doesn't 100% believe in XG, but it does show that Swindon, based on the quality of chances created, probably should have scored more goals than they have. And it's that becomes a bit of a theme that they just need, they need to be scoring more than one goal or winning by one goal more often because it is still just that Rochdale game that that's happened in. Okay, let's talk Hartlepool United then. So, wow, what a season they're having. It's not a good one, is it? So the season started with a little bit of optimism for them. They had Paul Hartley come down from Scotland, but he was swiftly given the boot and Keith Curl has since come in. Has there been progress? Well, yes, they have won a game under Keith Curl, and that's the only game they've won this year and it probably resulted in McSheffrey at Doncaster Rovers losing his job eventually later in the same month. Um, it's not going tremendously well at all. They are bottom of the Football League. As I said, they're one win, six draws and seven losses, 25 conceded. I don't think Menayese is in the squad now either. So in the former player front. And they have recently signed, of course, your friend and mine, Theo Robinson. Um, so whatever the prediction is, I'm giving them one goal because you can almost bet your bottom dollar that he's going to score. Uh, an interesting analysis of Hartlepool United because, well, he's certainly not claiming to be the Oracle because Keith Curl doesn't seem to know much about his side as much as Scott Lindsay knows about Keith Curl's side. Yeah, unfortunately, we never got to see the Paul Hartley, Hartley Paul experiment. We're in fact seeing Mysterious Curl, who is... Um, not playing his three five two, but he is in fact um, he's mixing and matching a lot. Which um, su- supposedly they've switched formations in every game, which isn't a great sign for a manager who came in halfway through the season, especially as they're not winning games. It shows that they don't really know what they're doing, and it does make it slightly more difficult for Scott for Scott Lindsay, as he says, because it means it makes it a lot more difficult to prep, transition, and defensive work because you don't necessarily know where their players are going to be positioned, but, um, you know, it, it does show a, a big frailty. And I think, I believe, including Rochdale, this is the first week we haven't heard they're a good side at any point. <laughs> well, well, they lost to Harrogate and Harrogate were in free fall, weren't they? So um, if, you, if you're losing to Harrogate right now, you're pretty bad. I'm not taking much... Uh, well, I, I celebrated it on in the week, but not really considering their 6-0 loss to Everton under-21s very seriously at all. One person that I see that they've got who hasn't played yet is one Chris Maguire. Surely not. No, I couldn't. Please. Oh, my God. Chris Maguire to Fear Robinson is something that appears in quite a lot of my nightmares. <laughs> I would really not like to see it. No. It, it, I think what was interesting about this conversation with Scott Lindsay today wasn't it was more about complacency wasn't it and making sure that we don't do anything stupid like struggle against Hartlepool when they're in such a poor situation because we all know what's going to happen regardless of how they set up they're going to try and defend aren't they they're going to try and hold for the draw and we're going to probably end up throwing everything at them and we might win 3-0 we might win 1-0 but the key thing is that we've We've got to go at them, isn't it? Yeah, this is going to be the situation that Swindon have been seeing a lot of late and aren't necessarily dealing overly well with where the team comes to the county ground and sets up to to stop Swindon. So we're going to see a lot of that. And hopefully, because you know they, they aren't that good, that, that shouldn't be quite so much of an issue as a, as a more well-drilled side might be. But 
you know, this is this has got to be the time where Swindon step up. We saw it against Rochdale, you know, they they didn't control defensively quite as well that day, but they did they did manage to carve open chances against a side who were who were really struggling. So hopefully they can use that as a bit of a template. They're they're gonna have to, you know, move the ball quickly because Hartlepool probably aren't gonna leave the penalty area that much. And you know, but but you're anything less than multiple goals in this one is gonna is gonna raise some serious alarm bells because this team hasn't been scoring many goals against anyone, and if they can't do it against Hartlepool, then you really question who it's coming against. They're not the lowest goal scorers, you know. There are a few teams that have scored less than them, but they've scored twelve, conceded twenty five, and you know, I don't, I don't often like to sort of portray this image of rose tinted glasses. You know, I, I respect the opposition as much as I can, but I was absolutely convinced and expecting us to be Colchester. We did. It wasn't pretty, but we did it. And that applies again for this Hartlepool game. And if you're saying anything else, come on, you know, it, they are, they are terrible and we're at home. This should be the game where we score three, four with no reply. And we all, walk out bouncing or stick around and watch the women's team because we've had such a great time. Anything else is a failure. Absolutely. We've been hearing it a lot, you know, the, from the players and Scott Lindsay that we're a team in development, we're a team in development. That doesn't matter when you play Hartlepool because, you know, you could be rub, like, rubbish teams like Harrogate can beat them fairly easily. This, this has to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be a vintage performance because I think against a team like Harrogate, against like Hartlepool, you're not going to need that. But it, it they do just need to run up the score at least a little bit because, as as I said before, if you can't do it against this lot, then really when is it happening? Because they're yeah. not scoring enough goals. Yeah, there's going to be expectancy in in this game, and I don't think that's unfair in any way, shape, or form. Lindsay was asked about his knowing his team for this and it sounds like he's going to manage the lineups for this game and the one against Bradford so with that in mind I'd be kind of surprised if he risks Wakeling um, to start this one with a with a tougher potential game in midweek yeah I mean if you're giving up resources a little bit then you'd you'd think that you would leave at the players who might be 50-50 for the Bradford game because that's going to be quite a bit harder now, if, if this is a game where Tyree Shea can play and you leave Wakeling to rest up a little bit ahead of a Tuesday trip against a side in the playoffs with a manager like Mark Hughes, and that just seems a bit sensible. And he admitted that he is, he is thinking of you know the, the Saturday-Tuesday schedule which is coming up when he's thinking about his, his team selection, even if he does feel like it, and he does feel like he knows what his best team is. And we are seeing the same team quite a few times in a row. So we can be fairly sure what that is. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay, we'll move on from Hartlepool for a little bit because there has been an appointment behind the scenes. And it's quite... Did I miss something here? Did I miss an announcement? Um, Essentially, Carl Larriman has come in in some capacity um, I don't know if he's full-time coaching staff. I don't know if he's an advisor. Um, it sounds like he's going to be in the stands. Carl Larriman, for those who don't know, is a, he brought through lots of those players that came out of Charlton Athletic um, in the 90s, like Lee Bowyer um, and, and Scott Parker. After that, he moved to Arsenal and people like uh, Jack Wilshire came through, not necessarily solely under him, but he was certainly involved in that. 
Um, I definitely saw a Arsenal development game where he was a coach in that setup. Yeah, I don't know how formal the appointment is. I think it was last week. Scott told us after the interview when we were just having a chat that he had a former Arsenal coach mentoring him, giving him advice and things because he is still a young manager. And then I believe he said he said it, but this time in public on the Tom Broadbent Lounge last night. I think that's where the quasi announcement comes from. But um, he's you know, he's help he has been helping out with Scott Lindsay. He's been involved for. Um, a few weeks at least, I believe. He watches the games from the stands, gives a bit of a different perspective um, on how things are going um, in the games and just helps Scott Lindsay with some of the stuff he might not be able to see, gives him a, a few hints. I've been, uh, since we, I got back from this press conference, uh, Johnny Leefield did a bit of research and found he got uh, suspended by Arsenal for supposedly bullying under 20 freeze players. So maybe don't, talk, maybe don't talk to him about man management advice. But, um, He's um he's an ex- exceptionally experienced coach, and when you are a first time boss like Scott Lindsay, and this is apparently someone he's been friends with for a long time, and spoke with even when he wasn't you know officially doing anything with Scott Lindsay to, to look for advice from. So it's a it's a pretty good resource. Could you say it's kind of like the Tommy Wright to Richie Wellens in many ways? He's that sort of more experienced coach. Who's I mean he's less official than Tommy Wright was, but is just assisting a younger manager with with the craft as they go along. Yeah, I think Tommy Wright was behind the scenes originally, not really made a big deal of, and slowly but surely he was integrated a little more, wasn't he? I think that was their that was their process there. Maybe it'll be the same for Kyle Larriman, who had who was director of football at, at Scott Lindsay's former club Chatham, wasn't he? Yeah, well that's presumably where the link comes from then. So um, it's it's good for him to have someone like that to bounce ideas off. People have questioned his experience before, so if he has, so as he said, twenty six years of Premier League experience, then you know, checkmate, I suppose. Indeed. Shall we listen to your questions? Let's do it. Um, I also want to think about the fullbacks because obviously, since you switched to the four, initially you had Darcy as a right back, and then Lavinia seemed to come in. And they weren't necessarily inverted, but they could play both sides, inside and outside. And more recently, you've looked to play them sort of as your whip. Why did you make that switch and how is it working for you? I think that sometimes you have to analyse what the opposition do. Um, you know, for argument's sake, Colchester um, played 4-2-3-1. So their, their wide players stayed with our full-backs. So by pushing them back, we felt that we had more spaces to, to get out. Um, so we almost kind of played as wingers in, in that game um, and there's been other games where that's happened as well and we feel that we don't want to be a 4-3-3 where we have uh, Wakelin and we have Shades and we have Ellis or we have Johnny Williams kind of staying wide because they're not that type of player we want them coming in off the shape creating pockets or finding pockets of space creating um, different passing lines and of course if, if they're coming in then we need to have whip from somewhere and that's of course the fullbacks. it's aggressive um, but if we play against teams who play one up front we, we can do it you know because we're, we're happy to leave our centre-halves 2v1 at the back sometimes we've gone a little bit gung-ho and played 2v2 at the back all good possession teams need to make sure they can defend 1v1s so we're happy for us to be a bit more aggressive with our starting positions and our fullbacks to be higher and then a slightly less set question. Um, 
sort of combining, you know, you said you've not, maybe not scored as many goals as he should. Is playing bottom of the league a chance to like, put on a bit of a statement with the number of goals you can score, a bit like you do against Rochdale? I, I think that whatever team we play, we want to score more than one goal. I think that's kind of like, you know, what we want to do. We want to score, we want to score three or four. And, you know, I think that there's been opportunities in, in probably every game we've played for us to do that. Of course, we haven't um, in in many games. Obviously, we, we did against Sutton. We scored three against Rochdale. And I think um, every other game we've won by one goal, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah just Sutton yeah. and Rochdale. Yeah. yeah. No, Sutton, was, we won by one goal, but we had scored three goals. But what, what what my point is, we've only scored, we've only won by one goal. So we want to we want to be uh, in a position where, with twenty minutes to go, I can I can bring players off and, and put players on um, and rest players where we're winning the game three or four nil. You know, and that's that's kind of what we want to do. You know, we'd like to do that. It doesn't matter who the opposition is. It doesn't matter whether it's bottom of the league or top of the league. That's what we want to do. We set up to win every game. Um, and listen, we we feel that we've had a we've got a real clear way of playing. Um, I think that's quite clear to see. Um, we we try and be aggressive with our attacks. I think that's clear to see. Um, I think a lot of teams have banked in and sat in and made it difficult for us and nullified a lot of spaces. Um, but we should have scored more goals than we have. I I, I totally you know I totally believe that. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Lovely. So, really good questions this week. Not that you don't usually. Um, you went in there with with tactical chats with the wingers. Um, did you get what you needed? Definitely. It's something that interested me because I quite liked the way we were playing a, a couple of weeks ago, before, sort of before the Lavinia injury, really, where you know you'd, you'd see a lot of rotation from outside midfielder, fullback, and winger, and then that's notably changed in the last couple of weeks where. As he said about how Jacob Wakeling has been playing, the the fullback is very noticeably is wide and stays wide. So it was it was just about um, looking into why he decided to make that change. I mean, it's very much about the way that he you know he he looks to how his wingers are best utilised. So definitely makes loads of sense, and it's getting a lot out of Romeo Hutton at the moment, and certainly Fraser Blake Tracy as well. So it's it's clearly working. Yeah, he clearly liked the question. He, he did go straight in there, no hesitation. Uh, and I, I do think he does like talking that element of football um, than some other the areas, doesn't he? Yeah, well, it's, as a coach, it's probably where he's most comfortable talking about rather than some of the other stuff. I quite like talking football as well, so I, I like asking those type of questions. So it suits us both in many ways. Yeah. The second question was about goals, and when you were asking it, I knew exactly where 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 you wanted him to go I knew exactly what you meant and I just had this nagging feeling that he was going to say we always want to score more than one goal but he did give you the courtesy of a full response before drifting down that road yeah he, he, did, he did give the um the answer it's, it's an obvious it's an obvious statement obviously they do want to score more than one goals and, and that's <laughs> I, I didn't really want that part of it it's just about because when it came into Rochdale, they they hadn't. I think they'd scored like one goal, so that was that was a moment where they needed to score goals, and they did it. And it's about if you are constant, consistently underperforming, what you should be doing in terms of converting chances, then is this a place where you can kickstart it? So that's that's kind of where I was going with the question. He does lead it down that area. He certainly did see it that way, but 
then you get the sort of, <laughs> but obviously we do want to score goals every time. <laughs> yeah, and I think it is a fair question about this because what, 11 out of our 14 league games, we haven't scored more than one. We're 14 games in now. So, you know, it's clearly a thing that we're, we're struggling with. Yeah, I said to Johnny at Colchester, why do these games always have to come down to the last minute? Because the only game I wasn't able to go to because of train strikes was the Rochdale match. So I haven't seen a game where <laughs> where it's been wrapped up in either direction going into the last 10 minutes or so, which makes my job a little bit harder because you have to be ready to change things. Um, so, so I just quite like us to, to put someone away. And obviously Scott Lindsay does as well. <laughs> and quite. Okay, so we'll, we'll move away now from Scott Lindsay and say hello to uh, Tommy Adeloy, who was the player guest for this presser. And I think I thought he spoke very, very well. Definitely. It was great to speak to Adeloy because I've not spoken to him before. I think um, pre-season he might have s- spoken after Cardiff or something. But um, he's he's had a very strange season. So it's it's interesting to see his side of that. And I thought, his, his his answers about all the work he's been able to do in the time he has been injured and that and how that's helped him in his own mind and getting in the best possible shape now is is really interesting to hear about really because you don't hear people say you know I, I was injured and I couldn't play football but I got better over this time it's just not something you really hear yeah I really loved his honesty about the fact that you know he's not gonna get into the lineup yet. And he might not even get off the bench yet. Um, I really like that sort of element that, you know, he knows that there's a fight to be had now. And I I know they joked about the fact that, well, if we score a few goals, he's going to get on. Well, if we don't score a few goals, he's going to get on too, isn't he? So um, so I, I I just really liked his realistic thought process about coming back because I heard... He actually, I heard one fan give him abuse at Bristol Rovers. And I just thought he, his performance at Bristol Rovers is exactly what I expected. He's going to run around. He's not going to put in 100% into every sort of like thing. Because I, I heard that he got criticised on comms for not putting himself a bit as much. Why on earth would you if you've been out for as long as he has? And yeah, I, I, I just think... He, he's got it sussed. He knows what he's got to do and he's up for the challenge, which is great. It's it's brilliant to know that he knows exactly what he's walk, walking into because Swindon, you would imagine, invested quite a lot of their budget in Luke Jeffcott and Jacob Wakeling's had a great start. He can also play up the middle. So the fact that he knows he's got he's got to fight for it, but he also has that real, you could, you could tell in his answers as well, that he had that confidence that he was good enough to do it. I was talking about um, last year at Air United, how... You know, he knew he was playing because he was the main man, but he knows again because of his experience there that because this is a better team, he's going to have more of a battle for it because some of the players we have also that when he does get that chance, he's more than good enough to take it. Yeah, and I don't really think there's much more to to talk about Adeloy on that front. We'll, we'll listen to your audio now. I was just wanted to ask: Has it been difficult settling in? Because obviously you came in halfway through pre-season, you got injured quite quickly. Yeah, that was been around. That was that was a tough bit because obviously coming in so late into pre-season and not doing a full pre-season, it was hard to actually just get up to speed of everyone. And I feel like I was trying to do too much to get myself as fit as quickly as possible, which probably is what caused the injury. So obviously that's a bit frustrating, but I feel like now because I knew I was going to be out for a certain period of time. I use that time to get myself gradually right to get myself to this level where I feel like I can actually go out and compete. Whereas before, I probably didn't feel the greatest, but I was just trying to push myself. And 
hopefully just get through games rather than like being on top of games. So. And looking around the other strikers, do you feel like you can play off those guys with like Jacob and Luke? 100%. I feel like I feel like I could. And the way everyone is different, like every, there's not all of us complement each other. Like I feel like you can throw any combination in there, and we'd complement each other. So whoever I may end up playing with at some point, I look forward to it because in training we play some exciting stuff, and like the chemistry is getting better every day. So. Some, some exciting stuff. Thanks, Tony. And it's just, you know, it just there's there's proof that he's a thoroughly nice chap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's I I was I something that's intrigued me this whole time is you know how does he think about how it's gone so far this season? Because we've had these chats about how he really came in to the team and wasn't really ready and was forced into quite a tough situation. So um, finding uh, finding seeing what he comes that perspective and how he he feels so much better now than he did going into um into Harrogate because he in many ways had to try too hard then and that caused the injury but he's been able to take himself out of that frantically trying to get ready stage been able to do it a lot more calmly and how much that's helped him so it's really it was really interesting to talk to he he really wanted you to ask that question too so when you were like you kind of come in midway through pre-season latter stages and he was like yes straight away wasn't he He was like yep that was hard definitely I'm gonna latch on to that without a doubt and it it must be because they're two different environments aren't they you know Air United I don't know if they're pro or semi-pro but it's going to be a certain standard and as he said in the presser you know his goals were to keep Air United up he's come down here where his he wants his goals to contribute to more positive things like promotion and yeah just just completely switched on and he's got he's got to win me over on the pitch you know in terms of when he gets on and that's 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 how I'll judge him but I was really really impressed with how he articulated his Swindon career so far yeah he's he was really good to talk to he's he's clearly switched on I I like what i the brief glimpse I've seen him as a player, but it's also incredibly hard for him to have done anything so far to show what he's about because he just wasn't simply in a position where he could do so. So he's got to, you know, he's going to have cameos at this point. He's going to have very little and maybe pray for an injury to, to really be able to prove what he's got at this level. But he has the confidence himself. He has the track record of last season to show that he can score goals. And that was in a stride that really struggled so it'll be it'll be interesting to watch him over the coming weeks and just see when he gets his opportunity what what is he like okay then well let's begin to close this installment by reminding you that i got the prediction absolutely spot on um in midweek 3-0 loss my first loss prediction of the season certainly not doing one for this going to get a little cocky a little uh Confident four one. Oof. You know how I felt last week about your confidence. Um I'm gonna say <laughs> two nil. I think I, I just even against this sort of team, I don't think we've shown anything to say that we're gonna score lots of goals. Yeah, you're right, but I'm vibing it. I mean I'm very <laughs> excited by your score and I would love to see it as long as it's wrapped up by seventy minutes. Um <laughs> and, and of course as you say there's a there's a ninety nine percent guarantee that Fia Robinson scores and potentially Chris Maguire as well, and then we get to maybe see the the Nathan Thompson celebration busted out once again. But oh, could you? I, I could you imagine? I, I don't. I as accounting for all of that stuff as well as accounting for the fact that Swindon just aren't scoring goals. 
um, makes it a difficult one, and that would end up in a draw. So I want it to be a win. So I've I've uh, I've decided to go against the old player curse, which is never smart. Joe, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon, Rich. The Low Strangers is an independent podcast and views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The intro music of The Presser is by the amazing Drag Me Down, influenced by the great Matthew Kilford. And the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Has a bubble? Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.